We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking Cincy and St. Louis magic, VAR mayhem, player power, reptile, 13-year-old professional players, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how you doing on this uh, Monday, October 2nd in the year? 2023. I'm doing well. Great to have you back here with me and not hanging out with Stu Holden and Rob Stone. Yes. As we mentioned uh, last week, I was up in the mountains, uh, you know, doing all sorts of crazy things and hiking and water skiing. And I'm glad to be back here with you in person. Uh, Again, later on this week, I will be in our nation's capital for an appearance there. And uh, so I will be coming to you again in uh in uh you know over the uh, airwaves here uh from afar on uh for our wednesday show but i'm here with you today my friend all sorts of stuff to talk about have you watched anything interesting uh the only thing i've got tv wise is another episode of the show the gold that i'm watching on paramount plus about that famous gold heist at heathrow airport 1983 we're four episodes down just two more to go what is that on? What, I haven't found that yet. Where Paramount is Plus. It's on Paramount Plus. All right. I'm going to check that out because now you've mentioned it twice. Speaking of mentioning things twice, uh, I mentioned last week this crazy show, Naked Attraction. Um, it's starting now to filter out into the public and people are uh, are discovering it. Uh, and some people are you know, ruining the, the moment that they do discover it, but it is out now. And um, <laughs> I saw someone the other day that uh, that filmed their uh, their significant other as <laughs> as it came on the screen and as she realized what this show was about. But it is nuts. Uh, when it, in, in terms of watching other things, uh, Reptile, new movie on uh, Netflix. I think it has stars Benicio del Toro, Justin Timberlake. I had high hopes for it. Actually, Benicio del Toro, I think, is uh, part writer on it. Uh, Alicia Silverstone is in it. It's a uh, crime drama type of thing, suspense. Uh, It could have been so much better, but it's still, I think, worth the two hours that uh, that you invest in it. So I would I'd give it a, a, a recommendation in that not two thumbs up, thumb up and maybe a half cocked type of thumb there. But uh, it's not the worst thing that you will see, but it's certainly not the best thing that uh, you will ever see. Ready to light this candle, my friend? Let's do all it. Right, all sorts of stuff to get to. Where shall we start? But coming down to the uh, business end, as they say, of MLS. Should we start there? Yes, an eventful weekend in Major League Soccer. We'll begin in the Eastern Conference, and let's take a look at the Eastern Conference standings for those of you watching us right now. Uh, 
you'll notice that uh, Cincinnati remains at the very top. And that's the first game we'll go to because they earned a 3-2 away victory over Toronto. Brandon Vasquez with two goals. Bupenza got the other, assisted by Lucio Acosta. And with that result, Cincinnati has clinched the supporters should. What an achievement for a franchise that not long ago was a laughingstock. I think it is absolutely fair and right and just for us to spend a little time and kind of do a ode to Cincinnati for what they have accomplished. Uh, and again, it's in the context of the reminder that when this team came into the league as an expansion team, and we're going to get to it, but for the most part, traditionally, expansions teams struggle when they come into the league. And they did. Cincinnati was not just bad, but historically bad and just failure after failure uh, for a number of years. And they have come out the other side and gone the complete opposite and as you said, they are the Supporters Shield winners. Congratulations to that entire organization, and in particular to the players and to Pat Noonan as the leader, the coach, and to Chris Albright behind the scenes, kind of uh, orchestrating this and putting this together and bringing them to uh, to the mount. It is not easy to win a Supporters Shield in any league, including Major League Soccer, and this is a trophy worth celebrating. I know that there are those out there that look at it in a certain way. And I will say that relative to your season ticket fan base and to your ticket uh, sales base out there in terms of your market, this does signify that you have given the most consistently successful product uh, to your customers out there in the market in terms of the eight months or so that you have, uh, you have played. You'll have your moments. The confetti will come down. The music will play. You will raise the trophy. It will forever be yours. And then very, very quickly, people will turn their attention to MLS Cup because don't kill the messenger. It's all fine and well to win Supporters Shield. But if you don't then double down and parlay it into winning MLS Cup, I hate to be the bearer of bad news to Cincinnati or anybody else, but nobody gives a crap about the Supporters Shield. I feel like this is an annual tradition on the State of the Union podcast. <laughs> At this time of the year, we discuss the merits of winning the Supporter Shield. And I always bring up a Matt Doyle quote, and I'm going to do that again here. Okay. This is from his armchair analyst column, which I, I read religiously whenever he writes it. He's mm -hmm. been kind of missing in action a little bit this season because of his Apple TV duties. But he did write this one. Uh, he says, I'll get it on the record once more. The Shield is the single best trophy an MLS team can win. It's the truest measure of who the best team in the league actually is for one. And for two, it means you gave your fans eight straight months of sustained winning soccer. Now you agree with the second part of yes. what he said, not yes. so much the first part. No, because MLS has always been about MLS Cup. And because we, uh, we play a... Uh, a season and we have a league that has playoffs in a country and culture that uh, for the most part has playoffs when it comes historically to our, our sports. It is the most important thing. Now I will say that the supporter shield winners, it becomes much more important. And I think much more worthy of praise when you do parlay it into MLS cup and each and every year, another thing that we do, it's kind of evergreen is we tell you how many teams ultimately have been able to do that. And it's very few relative to the almost 30 years that MLS has been in existence. So it's very, very difficult. And oftentimes what, what happens is 
the play during your regular season doesn't always translate. And you have teams that find a way to get hot in the, uh, in the playoffs. And what they did in that previous eight, eight uh, months is often just kind of flushed off the table here. We'll see if Cincinnati that has been good and consistently good through the year is like I said, able to parlay it into a potential MLS cup, because if they don't, they can sit there and celebrate the supporter shield. But the only one that really is going to be remembered is who wins MLS cup. Yeah, if the same team wins both, then it's a moot point as LAFC did uh, last year. But more often than not, that doesn't happen. You have a different Shield winner from the Cup winner. And Matt Doyle believes if you could only win one of those two, it would be the Shield. And you completely disagree with that. My argument has always been the very fact that this debate exists is weird. I can't think of any other sports league in the world that crowns a champion at the end of the season and gives out a trophy along the way. And people argue that you'd rather win that trophy than the championship of the league. I mean, imagine an NFL fan saying, I'd rather my team have the best regular season record than win the Super Bowl or an NBA fan or a Major League Baseball fan. It just doesn't work. But for some reason, in MLS, because they try to have their cake and eat it too and satisfy the soccer purists who are accustomed to the way other soccer leagues do it, you have playoffs, which, as you said, is intrinsic to American sports culture, where you create this regular season trophy and try to imbue it with all this prestige. And to me, it's created an odd dynamic. But correct me if I'm wrong, and you're the football, uh, American football uh, expert here. The Miami Dolphins, which often are brought up in terms of the perfect season, right? 16-0 and 0 or whatever. They didn't ultimately win the Super Bowl, and yet they are still... No, they did. 1972, they did? yeah. They went on and won the Super Bowl? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, then what the hell am I know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, but you're, you're right. But I think it comes from the fact that this is straddling the worlds of soccer. And <laughs> elsewhere, this... They're as confused as, as you are in terms of how we do this. But this is the game. And speaking of Matt Doyle, by the way, he, wa- he writes a wonderful column each week where he, uh, you know, wraps up everything that happened. And I texted him last night because I got to the end. It's really long. It's amazing what he does. And I know he's doing it in real time. But ultimately, his, almost his last sentence of his entire, I don't know how many thousands of words that he wrote was, um, was and I, t- I told him, I said, you buried the lead. MLS is the most bizarre, inexplicable league in the world. And we've been saying this for years. If I find the man or woman that can correctly and consistently predict MLS, I will do not pass go, do not collect 200, go straight to Vegas, and you will win plenty of money because I have yet to meet that person. Now, you fired off a tweet uh, suggesting that Cincinnati's rise Mm -hmm. in a relatively short period of time from worst team in the league to best team in the league is something that can only happen in MLS Uh, A couple of my Brazilian compatriots wanted me to point out to you that Brazil also takes pride in the unpredictability and parity of its league. Uh, Right now, you have a team, Botafogo, that was in the second division two years ago and is leading the top flight on track to become the fourth different champion in the last four years. Bragantino, who were 14th last year, are second. Grêmio, who were in the second division last year, are third. So... I, I was well, told things, to point that out. Two things on that point. Yes, I know. And you have now pointed it out. And you're, uh, <laughs> I'm sure your friend uh, is very excited that uh, that you are talking about this. Uh, two things when it comes to, what's it called again, the Brazilian League? Brasileiro. Okay. The only reason that we ever talk about the Brazilian League is because of your background, my friend. Okay. <laughs> so as far as being relevant in the, in the soccer world, other than exporting incredible talent out there, that is the reason why they talk about. Secondly, uh, I knew this was coming. And so I did do a little bit of uh, a little bit of digging. And so when you talk about teams that have gone down, oftentimes it's relative to a loss of finances that lose the Parmalat sponsorship and all that kind of stuff. So it really, what it comes down to is the money 
is relative to you being able to, uh, to, to get back and to flip things and go from worst to first and stuff like that, as opposed to MLS with, with the salary cap, with the single entity structure, with the restrictions when it comes to, uh, to the league. And yes, there is no relegation, but a team like Cincinnati or a team like St. Louis, which we're about to talk about uh, here doing that, that is not something that is a complete anomaly or a complete aberration relative to most of the leagues that we talk about out there. And so I think that's where my, uh, my comment came from. And while the league and its structure, I'm talking about MLS, uh, is, you know, comes in for plenty of criticism, some of it, some of it fair, I think it does have to have to be recognized that the reason why some of these things are able to happen is because of the adherence the last 30 years to a structure that manufactures parity on the field and the desire from the ownership, whether it's the nouveau riche or the OGs when it comes to ownership of having a league where when you get up in the morning on the first day of the season, you have the belief that it is possible for your team to win. And that is baked into the fabric of MLS. Now, that baking in is something that people take issue with and something that drives some people crazy. It's something that I happen to like, although I will argue at times for the other side on taking off some of those training wheels and letting people go. But if and when you do that, some of that parity that is manufactured and some would argue has kept this league afloat for the last 30 years is going to go away. Uh, next up, Inter-Miami. Uh, we taped our last pod on Wednesday afternoon. That evening, they lost the Open Cup final 2-1 home defeat to Houston. Messi did not play in that match much to Zinedine Zidane's chagrin who had shown up for the game. And then Messi also did not play this weekend. Inter-Miami had 1-1 home draw against NYCFC. Santi Rodriguez gave the Pigeons the lead in the second half. Joseph Martinez equalized. Nice header off a set piece uh, in stoppage time. Then even later in stoppage time, Inter-Miami almost won the game. They had a shot off the crossbar, it finished 1-1. Inter-Miami, four points out of the last playoff spot in the East. Wonderful come back. And, and as you mentioned, they probably should have won it at the end, that ball off the, uh, off the crossbar. I think if you're, uh, if you're NYCFC, you're kicking yourself for not getting a three points here. Miami, the problem is, yes, it's a nice comeback in terms of getting the point, but they don't need one point. They need the three points as much as they possibly can as this fight, uh, fight to the end. And I think they're going to come up short, especially without Messi. And, you know, who knows when or if we are ultimately going to see Messi. And by the way, <laughs> you know, we had talked about, I think uh, a couple of uh, shows ago about the promotion of Messi. Um, if you, I, I even got an email from NYCFC for a viewing party to come watch, won't come watch NYCFC play against Messi and enter Miami. So everybody again is using Messi. Whether you agree with it or not, it is being it is being used. And again, Messi has yet to step on the field over the last couple of games because of an injury. Still don't know the severity of it, but there's lots of rumors flying so around. So let's get into that. Uh, there are stories uh, swirling that this injury might be more serious than Inter-Miami are letting on, and then he's definitely not going to play again in the regular season. But Tata Martino pushed back against that, said he's game to game. And some people think the reason Inter-Miami is doing that is because they want to maintain the possibility that Messi could play in each game uh, to preserve the ticket prices, attendance, et cetera. Uh, would you have an issue if that's what's going on? I would have an issue from a front office standpoint if that's what you're doing. I understand what you're doing, but I think it's disingenuous and I think it's crappy um, to do. Uh, but I think at this point, there's enough of buyer beware where if you are buying tickets right now for Inter-Miami, you need to know what is going on. But I would also have an issue if Tata Martino was doing this in some effort to, you know, at least 
put the threat out there that Messi could possibly be there and therefore he would justify it as a potential competitive advantage in doing that. I just think it's all, it's all weak. All right. If he's hurt, he's hurt. And tell us whether it's us buying tickets or from a competitive standpoint, if he's not going to be involved, tell us so that we can, when we're talking about it or others are talking about it, can put that into you know, the calculation and the formula as to, uh, as to what we're doing. But, uh, you know, but ultimately they, whether it's with Messi or without Messi, and they have gotten points without Messi, they need to find a way to get, to get as many points here down the line. And they have, you know, they have games in hand, but it's still, it is going to be a real race here. So Miami uh, sitting at 33 points. Again, that is uh, four points behind Montreal. And that's the line right now. But also again, the Red Bulls, Chicago and DC are right in front of them, all vying for that line to get uh, as close as they can to Montreal. And I guess NYCFC, which is why that was a huge point for NYCFC, although they should probably, probably, probably should have had three. Uh, we did have another team clinch a playoff spot in the East. Nashville crossed the finish line after a nil-nil draw against Seattle. So Nashville is in as well. We're they up to seven in. teams. They backed in. Yep. I mean, you know, Nashville is not. And again, you know, we mentioned you know, winning Supporters Shield and then this kind of rebirth and renewal that happens in the playoffs. And for those teams that are backing in that you know, that can be a problem if you are not playing well and you can scream and yell all you want about, yeah, but you remember back in April when we had that great performance and all the goals that we did and how great we were playing. Nobody gives a crap. All right. People care ultimately that you, at the end of the season and the end of the season is at the end of the MLS playoffs that you are holding up the trophy and that trophy is MLS cup. Uh, we transitioned to the Western Conference. Let's take a look at the West standings uh, for those of you watching us. And you'll notice St. Louis in first place. And that's where we'll go because they earned a 4-1 home win over SKC. My boy, Joan Klaus, with two goals, including a really nifty one where he lifted the ball and volleyed it home. Wow. And with this result, St. Louis clinched the top spot in the West. They are the first uh, expansion team ever to finish in first place in their conference. What a debut season for them. So again relative to the structure of MLS, it enables something like this to happen. However, it has to be said that nobody, including the folks at St. Louis, predicted that it was going to be this good and this consistent. And we've said this before, but it bears repeating. Congratulations to everybody, including Bradney Carnell, the head coach, and Lutz uh, Feinensteel, the technical director, sporting director, whatever you want to uh, call him there. And apologize, I don't have it in front of me. But this is a wonderful, wonderful moment. And while I talked about what Cincinnati needs to do now to parlay it, St. Louis does on the surface, but no matter what, this is going to be looked at for a long time as an incredibly successful and surprising type of performance. And this is uh, something that, as I said, myself and so many others did not predict but they just keep cruising along. And you mentioned the way that they are scoring goals, the amount of goals that they are, that they are scoring. Keep in mind, if you remember back to the beginning of the season, when they went on that, what, five, first five games, they didn't, uh, they didn't lose. They, they uh, won their first five and they were cruising. And everybody said kind of a la Colorado and Deion Sanders. Oh yeah, but you know, it's going to revert to the norm. It's going to, it, the reality is going to set in at a certain point. And it never really did. Yes, they had, 
bad games. Yes, they had losses, but they never went through that major, major down moment where they lost multiple, multiple games. Everybody said, oh, this is reality setting into this team. And it, it, you know, credit the mentality, credit the, the building of that team to be able to do something like that. But again, the structure of MLS bends over backwards for you to, if you want, and if you can set yourself up for success, even in the first year. And I guess it shows how poor Cincinnati were that not only were they not even able to be competitive, but they were historically uh, horrible as opposed to St. Louis right now, which is historically great. And it's, and it's wonderful to see. And I think from a, a league perspective, they will look at St. Louis and say, Hey, this is great. And do we want to, do we want to break that? Do we want to throw the baby out with the bathwater in terms of letting those restrictions down? Um, or does everybody benefit from saying, hey, those, those, uh, those training wheels are off uh, going forward? But regardless, I think that's just remembered, regardless of what happens in the playoffs. But you know what's going to happen in the playoffs, Mossy. <laughs> They're so good in the regular season, they're going to go out in the first round of the playoffs, uh, and it'll be that wonderful season that they weren't able to parlay it into anything in the playoffs. Uh, the flip side of this result, very damaging for SKC's playoff hopes. Yeah. Um, they're, so they're sitting on the line. I was looking through the uh, you know, MLS standings. And again, to our point about how you can, in a very short period of, period of time, change your fortunes in a way, in a unique way, relative to many leagues around the world. I mean, you look at teams like, you know, like Houston, even Seattle, which obviously had a down year last year, right back, uh, right back up there. Salt Lake, Pablo Mastriani deserves a tremendous amount of credit for uh, what's going on or uh, what, what's going on over there. Salt Lake sitting in second teams like Vancouver in the playoffs right now, uh, Portland bouncing back even mid season, miles, Joseph, uh, another coach that deserves a tremendous amount of credit for what's going on here. When he came in for Giovanni Savarese mid uh, mid season or took over uh, for Giovanni Savarese, San Jose back in the playoff picture, Dallas in the playoff picture. Now, Kansas city's right on that line there. And they, as I just said, they got their ass kicked by St. Louis here, 38 points now, three points back from, uh, from Dallas, but Dallas has a game in hand uh, now. And the loons, again, a team that, you know, if you look back and I like to click on the, uh, the standings page and go a compare and contrast with 2022 and 2023. And again, there are some usual suspects. But the fortunes not only change, but can dramatically change year to year. And again, it goes back to the structure. Uh, also in the West, uh, LAFC, again, we taped our last pod Wednesday afternoon. That evening, uh, they played Tigres in the Campeones Cup. Nil-nil draw, and then they lost on penalties. And then this weekend, they lost 1-0 at home to RSL. Who else but Christian Arango with the winner against his former team. RSL all the way up to second in the West, while LAFC shut out in their last four matches in all competitions. Yeah, and Steve Trondolo in the in the game, you know, in the uh, post game press conference, just kind of sits there and takes the questions and says, you know, we we can't blame anybody but ourselves. And I I feel like they all keep looking around, saying, okay, we're going to come out of this funk. We're going to figure it out. We're too good to let this type of thing happen. But and even Carlos Vela, I think, put up his hand and said, look, I'm part of the attack here. And I need to do better and they need to do better. And who knows, maybe they're keeping some powder dry because they're, you know, they're, they're going to make the playoffs, but with the dropping of points that they're doing, they're putting themselves in a much more difficult position relative to home field and all of that uh, kind of going forward. Did you see the goal that Arango scored? Um, you know, in the, the, well, the lack of celebration, I guess it would be, was that another one out of respect for my former team? Is that what this was happening? We're, we're in agreement on this. Uh, so, I find that whole not celebrating against your former club 
like nonsense. I, I don't like it in general, but at least if it's like Steven Gerrard scoring a goal against Liverpool, maybe. But a guy who played a couple of seasons for a club feels like he can't celebrate against him. That, uh, that drives me. Into, it drives me nuts. I, and again, it's you are a goal scorer. Your job is to score goals. All right. And a team like Salt Lake said, we like you. We want you. We are going to bring you to our team to score goals. And then when you score goals on another team, all right, and let's be honest, if anybody has a gripe with their team in terms of the way that he was treated, he was always the Rodney Dangerfield in that moment about what was going on. He has a a reason to celebrate. So it just, uh, again, it just rubs me the wrong way when you do that. I get what you're trying to say, but it, it never comes off as, as genuine celebrate. Scream and yell, do what you would normally do, all right? And after the game, you can take pictures, you can hug, you can cry, you can do whatever it is that you want to do to celebrate however you feel that emotional connection is with the team, with the staff, with the fans, all that kind of stuff. But you're on the field to do a damn job. And the reason why you're on the field is because you're good at it. So when you do it, you should celebrate. And well, I'm not telling anybody they have to celebrate, but when you do it, you should not do something different than what you normally would do simply because it's one of your former teams. Come now, on. after the Campeones Cup defeat on penalties at Tigres, Trunlo did have a rant about MLS roster restrictions. And if you're going to have us play in all these different competitions, you have to loosen things up. So to your point, that conversation has been in the air lately. It has. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about the number of games that are being played um, and that whole conversation. And that's more in general around around the world. But, you know, to, to Steve Trundle's point, he is absolutely correct in that MLS teams and not just now, but over the years have had to play with one foot behind their back. But again, it goes back to the structure and the restrictions. Everybody knows it. Everybody understands it. When you're playing against other MLS teams, then it's all relative. And so therefore, it is much more fair, if you will. When you start playing against other teams around the, around the world and in international competitions, it, it becomes more marked. And it's, I mean, it's actually a credit to all the teams that actually have done well in these international competitions, despite the fact that they have had to play with one foot behind, behind their back because of the uh, restrictions that they, uh, that they play under. But I, I like when I hear somebody say, hey, we need to really look at this and we need to kind of give more opportunity and loosen some of those restrictions going forward because I think it needs to be, it needs to be said. It needs to come from teams. It needs to come from voices of authority like a Steve Turundolo that it comes after losing. Uh, I get it. And sometimes it can sound like sour grapes and just figure it out. But you know, the Mexican teams could also say, Hey, not for nothing, but we play all of our games that you are now complaining about in your country. And sometimes we're here. If you look at leagues cup for multiple weeks, having to play against you guys. So does it ultimately even out because the Mexican teams are the ones that ultimately have to travel and play in a hostile and Uh, an environment that is not conducive to them giving their best. Sometimes they're not playing at altitude, which is where they have an advantage. So I don't think it, I don't think it ultimately equals out, but there's certainly arguments that the other side can make that say, Hey, we are challenged by X, Y, and Z that would, that would counter what Steve Trundle is talking about. Uh, Last thing in this segment, uh, Sacramento Republic, you might recall, reached the open cup final last year. We had their GM Todd Denovan on. 
They are in the news again uh, this week. A neat story. Yeah, a 13-year, seven-month, 13-day-old forward uh, played for the Sacramento Republic. His name is Davian Kimbrough. Uh, became the youngest North American soccer player to make a pro debut. And he came in in the 87th minute of their team's um, uh, the Sacramento Republic's 2-0 win against the Las Vegas uh, Lights. Now, look, and we have a long history of, you know, uh, wunderkind type of not just soccer players, but athletes. And it's always this amazing thing and this amazing moment. And this is another amazing moment. However, I do feel that there is an element of being done for attention and clicks. And while it should be cause for interest and I guess praise and celebration, it remains to be seen ultimately how Davian Kimbra is going to pan out in the long term. And yes, we have your Freddie Adus and many other players that have come on at a young age and not quite lived up to the expectation. Uh, so this is, on the surface, it's a neat moment and I'm excited about it. But it's also kind of this race to the youngest, if you will, in that another team will say, hey, we can make a name for ourselves and we can do something special by now doing someone that is 13 years, seven months and only 12 days old and make that new record and therefore get the clicks, get the attention, get the social media buzz and all that, as opposed to this is actually a player that we believe in the moment deserves to be there, as opposed to this is just a nice curiosity and oddity that we can celebrate uh, going forward. But regardless, look, I hope that this is the start of something wonderful. If you start your professional career at 13 years old, conceivably, you could play, what, 25 years? Uh, you know, maybe, maybe not that maybe that long, not that long, but you could certainly play a very, very long time in the professional ranks. It should be said also that this is someone that they have brought up from their youth academy and kind of fostered and raised, if you will, from a soccer perspective. And so for them, this is also kind of proof of concept. And I can tell you when we were at the Galaxy and we started out, and this was a long time ago when MLS was just starting to get into the development type of situation, that uh, we wanted to have somebody and we were desperate. And at times we pushed players into the spotlight that maybe didn't deserve it, but we needed to kind of have that focus. And as I said, that proof of concept to show that, hey, this is the pathway and this is an opportunity and there's value to doing that, even at the expense of the team on the field or even maybe even the, at the expense of the actual player in terms of putting them in at a point where normally you would not put them in due to their age and their inexperience, let alone their talent level. But in order to make a splash, you do it. Anything else, my friend? I say when I was 13, I watched soccer games all day and was scared to talk to girls, which is remarkably similar <laughs> to how I am today. Uh, but no, that is it. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we'll take a trip around Europe. Don't go anywhere. Okay, welcome back. Let's take a little trip around uh, Europe. All sorts of goings on. Mossy, where do you want to start? Over there in uh, Italia? Yes, uh, AC Milan with a 2-0 home win over Lazio. Christian Pulisic started and scored the opening goal, a left-footed strike assisted by Rafael Leão. Pulisic's third goal of the campaign. Musa began on the bench but came on in the first half for the injured Loftus-Cheek. Played well, almost scored himself. Valentin Castellanos made his first start of the season for Lazio, was ineffective. 
Uh, but the Americans looking good at AC Milan. Americans looking good. Milan in and of itself is looking good, cruising in terms of uh, the start of this season right now. And that Pulisic is a vital part of it, is wonderful for him. Again, I think that Musa is is growing uh, into this new situation and using the opportunities. I thought he had a really good game, as you mentioned, could have had two goals, uh, one for Pulisic and one for uh, one for Musa. Could have been a, an American feast, if you will, over, uh, over Lazio. Pulisic, again, is, has found a situation where he, he is happy. And it's obvious that he needs circumstances to be right for him to really, really shine. And this change of scenery has done wonders for, uh, for his game. I think this team and the way that it plays and the way that it employs him I think has done wonders for his game. Even his goal, was it, you know, the greatest goal and going to go in a time capsule? No, but his wonderful run where as opposed to going to the far post, he went right to the penalty spot and in doing so set himself up for not a, a clinical finish, but again, just a perfect example of put it on goal and use the, the force of the ball coming to you to propel it back the other way. And you know, this is, this is fun to see. This is fun to see a Christian Pulisic. Again, keep in mind, there was that little period there that, that kind of uh, overlapped with his national team window where he wasn't really firing in the way that we thought he was going to be, but he has come back and this is a wonderful, wonderful moment and, uh, and result for him. And as I said, in the bigger picture, if you're a Milan fan, whether it's with Pulisic or not, you got to be feeling good that you guys are uh, sitting pretty right now in terms of the results and where you are in the uh, in the standings. Uh, staying with the American theme in Liga, Monaco with a 3-2 home win over the now Gennaro Gattuso managed Olympique Marseille, Folarin Balogun with a goal and an assist, bouncing back from missing two penalties against Nice. Yeah, we had talked uh, last pod about a need for a goal scorer to be forgetful and to forget as quickly as possible. And you're going to want to forget a game where you miss two penalties. But he did it. And that shows a mental fortitude that, that I think is important for him going forward. And, and obviously in the way that we look at it for the U.S. men's national team uh, in, the, in the short term and in the long term. The goal that he scored, by the way, was very, very good. I thought because this was something that he kind of created for himself. And yes, you want him and, you know, being involved in the play and doing all that. But also at a certain point, if you're a goal scorer, sometimes you have to take the, the onus and sometimes you have to put it on your shoulders. And in this moment where he beat multiple players and it wasn't about him passing or it wasn't about him getting to a position in the box to finish off a cross, this was about him doing it himself. And I love the fact that there was that confidence, but then there also was that ruthlessness and that technical ability to finish it off, especially in light of what had happened in his previous game. That shows, like I said, a lot of mental fortitude. I agree. Lovely strike. Uh, we move to the Netherlands, the Eredivisie. PSV with a 3-1 home win over Volendam. Uh, Sergino Des, an unused sub. Pepe came on in the second half. But the big story from an American standpoint, Malik Tillman started, got a goal and an assist. You know, uh, over the years, when we have talked about the Eurodivisie, it's all, often been you know, a, a proving ground for goal scorers. But inevitably, the conversation has come up about the defending or lack thereof when it comes to, when it comes to defending. Uh, so it's not that I'm taking this with a grain of salt because I'm glad that whether it's Tillman uh, or whether it's Pepe, that they are, you know, they're involved, that they are scoring goals. But 
Do you think that that has over the years or now when you do bring that up, do you think that that is a fair criticism of uh, Dutch soccer? I always say I stopped taking the Eredivisie seriously when Alfonso Alves scored seven <laughs> goals in a game. He is this Brazilian striker who is absolute garbage. So Michael Bradley scored a bunch of goals over there too. So. Aaron Johansson had a big season with AZ Alkmaar. Oh, you remember Aaron Johansson? Oh my goodness. Uh, you know, that's, that, that's not to say that Pepe and Tillman doing well here and scoring goals isn't good. You know, although they're still kind of not, inserting themselves in a starting uh, way yet. But, you know, hopefully that could change going forward. And to be fair, we're hyping the Americans in that league. Santi Jimenez off to an incredible start yep. this season, scored again for Feyenoord in their win over go-ahead Eagles. He is the top scorer in the Eredivisie right now with 10 goals. We saw him score the game winner for Mexico against Panama in the Gold Cup final this past summer on our air. So Mexico do have an emerging star up front. But the traditional pathway for goal scorers that use the Dutch platform is you go there, you score a boatload of goals. Everybody screams and yells uh, at the fact that the defense isn't good, but still goal scoring, most difficult thing to do in the game, your value increases and then you move on to something bigger, uh, bigger and better. And certainly from a Brazilian perspective, that has been done time and time again. Yes, Romario and Ronaldo sure. both played at PSV, as you mentioned. Um, we transitioned to England, the big one, uh, Tottenham, 2-1 uh, home winners over Liverpool. Uh, to say there's a lot to unpack here would be an understatement. So just to go through the particulars here, uh, Liverpool, very upset with the officiating. They finished the game with nine men. They didn't agree with either red card. Curtis Jones got a straight red after a VAR review in the first half. And then Diogo Jota sent off after two yellows in the second half. I will say, though, last season... Casemiro was sent off against Sunderland in a game for the exact same thing that Curtis Jones did, a tackle where he got the ball first and then his foot slid off the ball and onto the uh, calf of an opposing player. So I didn't have as big of an issue with the Reds. Those are at least in the realm of debatable. But the big call that's got everybody crazy is in the first half, uh, Liverpool had a goal by Luis Diaz ruled out due to an offside. The replay showed he was clearly on. And so everybody wondered, why the heck didn't VAR intervene and correct this decision? And we've since come to find out there was a misunderstanding. The VAR officials thought the original call in the field was goal. So they got in the referee's ear and said, call confirmed. But the original call had been an offside. So the offside stood. They played on. By the time the VAR officials realized what had happened, I guess they were so embarrassed. They froze or whatever. And so... The Liverpool were not awarded a goal. The Premier League has already put out a statement apologizing, saying it was a clear error. Um, I mean, absolutely shambolic how this can happen. Another layer to this story, by the way, is the fact that we've also come to find out the VAR officials for this game had traveled to the United Arab Emirates to referee a game a couple of days earlier. I guess that's something officials in England are doing to make some money on the side. But that raised a couple of issues. First of all, jet lag. Could it be that they were off their game because they've been traveling? <laughs> uh, but also the more conspiratorial folks in England are suggesting, you know, with a win, Liverpool would have leapfrogged Manchester City in the standings. Manchester City owned by Abu Dhabi. So by extension, essentially the United Arab Emirates. Uh, so all of that is going on. A pretty crazy uh, weekend in England VAR-wise. Did you really just blame this on jet lag? <laughs> all right. Oh, my God. Where to start with this? Um, okay. First things first. This is an England problem. This is not a VAR problem. Uh, much of the world has implemented and integrated VAR with limited consternation and disruption. But England, 
and the EPL, they seemingly are complaining and whining and raging about VAR almost every single week. Again, I think it's important to look back and recognize as to what VAR promised and what it didn't. VAR never promised perfection. VAR simply promised that it was going to, through technology, help get more calls right, something that everybody wanted, get more calls right, and in doing so, decrease the chances of blatant mistakes being made by human beings. So as far as I see it, this is on England. This is on England to fix. And again, that's not to say that there aren't controversies. That's not to say that there isn't debate. And that's not to say that other fan bases, other leagues, other countries and cultures at times don't argue about a decision from VAR. But again, Every single week, there seems to be a problem when it comes to VAR. So sort your shit out, okay? It's not VAR. It's you. And I'll say this finally. Because there's a lot of people saying, just get rid of it. Go back to what it once was. Well, first off, that's never happening. The train has left the station and it's not coming back, nor should it. But let's just say that I I, uh, will accept that for a moment. If this game was back in the good old days, all right, what would have happened, Mossy, in this situation? Yeah, no go. No, you're right. The, the logic's trail stops with me when people look at this incident and say, that's why we can't have VAR. The original call was wrong. So VAR at least gives you a mechanism to correct it if it's done right. Exactly. They're just not doing it properly. E- exactly. <laughs> I don't think ultimately much is going to change in terms of VAR or no VAR, despite the screaming and yelling that's going on now. You know, our good friend Howard Webb, who is in charge, I bet you (laughs) to be a fly on his wall right now, I'm sure he's getting plenty of messages out there uh, from people and he's got to deal with it. I mean, it is on his watch. He is in charge of everything. Yes, there are human beings involved and I guarantee that somebody is being read the riot act. And yes, this was an egregious mistake. And yes, there should be ramifications from an egregious mistake. Who knows? Maybe people lose their jobs. You know, if you don't do your job, you lose it. All right. But, you know, when a goalkeeper makes an egregious mistake and lets lets the ball through his legs, it's not a coaching mistake. It's not anybody else's mistake, but that person. All right. There are ramifications from that. Do you just drag the goalkeeper off and never let him or her play again? Or do you recognize that, you know what? When you have human beings involved, even with technology at their disposal, making their decisions more informed, there are still going to be moments of mistake. But I would rather have the moments of mistake that we have right now with the advantage of technology than what we had before. Because as I said before, the train has left the station. It would be complete mayhem. It would be an absurdity. It would be complete ridiculousness if they got rid of VAR and went back to the world. It's so easy to say, oh, let's go back to a world without VAR. No, you cannot put that genie back into the bottle because you know what's going to happen? The first time that there is a call, by the way, on television, where there's cameras all over the place, you know what we're going to do as broadcasters? We're going to point out how dumb it was, how badly the call was missed. And we are going to have all of the angles out there that show what a massive and atrocious mistake was made that could have been fixed. 
that could have been fixed with VAR. And in this case, in the world that we live in right now, more often than not, and I know what the percentage is, I'm sure Howard Webb can tell me, 99% of the time, it actually is fixed. And in this small percentage where it isn't, people lose their minds. And again, this is on you, England. Figure it out, all right? You're the most popular league in the world. You love to talk about how great you are as a country in terms of your heritage and your culture and the way that you play the game and the, te- and the uh, leagues that you have and the clubs that you have and the tradition that you have. And yet you can't figure out VAR and the rest of the world has figured it out. So it's on England. I neglected to mention the goals in this game. Uh, Son scored first, assisted by Richarlison. Then Gakpo equalized late in the first half. And then Liverpool, even down to nine, almost held out for a point. Uh, Tottenham's winning goal didn't come until deep in stoppage time, a Joel Matip own goal. And then to add injury to insult to, for Liverpool, it sounds like Gakpo got injured in the game and might be out uh, several weeks. Uh, I mean, that's, that's the interesting from a pure competitive perspective uh, and soccer perspective. I thought Liverpool was really good, you know? Uh, you know, this is a heady times right now for, for Spurs and what they are, uh, what they are doing. And, you know, you're, you're playing against a team that's down two men and you find a way to win it. I think if that had finished 1-1, everybody would have said, that's a fair, that's a fair type of uh, result. Also, the other thing, Mosky, and I think that this uh, needs uh, repeating, that, you know, in, in terms of the tackle, and that one's a little bit more subjective when it comes to the VAR review and ultimately the red card. Again, I go back to the, the fact that you as a player in the modern day, in 2023, you choose to engage in a tackle. You choose to leave your feet. You choose to show the bottom of your foot. And if and when you go over the ball, either directly or indirectly, it is on you as a player. It is your responsibility to determine whether this is a tackle that you should go into and how you ultimately go into it. And in doing so, if you are endangering the safety of an opponent, then you risk the consequences. And the consequences are a red card, regardless of your intent. And so if you are a player, you act accordingly. And I know people will say, yeah, but you know, that wasn't the way that you played the game. You're damn right it wasn't. The laws have changed. The game has fundamentally changed. Now, if you want to have a discussion about that, that's fine. But if you want to change the laws to something else or something back to the way it was, that's fine. We can have a discussion like that. But again, ignorance of the, of the law, in this case, literally the laws of the game, is not an excuse. So yes, I was a defender in a different time. But if I played today, Mossy, I would first off know the laws of the game. And I would adjust my game accordingly. But again, it doesn't matter whether you like the laws or not. No, ignorance is not an excuse when there is punishment for breaking those laws. And in that moment, player broke the law and was punished. And it does, and, and you, I, think you, I think you look weak when you scream and yell about yes, but yes, but yes, but I went over the ball or I didn't go over the ball or the ball pushed my foot over it. You know what you have to do? Not go into that tackle. And people say, well, now the game's completely changed. Yeah, the game has completely changed in the way that you play it. And if you don't change accordingly, you become a dinosaur. 
and you will go the way of the dinosaurs and you will become extinct if you cannot adjust in the same way that players put their arms behind their back when they are defending in the uh, in the 18. Do I like that that's the way the game's played? No. But if and when you are dinged for it, don't cry and whine about the laws. You knew it going in. Anyway. Uh, some terrible news in England from an American standpoint. Tyler Adams, remember, had finally made his season debut in Bournemouth's League Cup win over Stoke City. So we were excited to have him back. And he didn't play in their 4-0 defeat to Arsenal over the weekend. And the manager, Idaola, came out afterwards and said he had some sort of relapse with his hamstring. And he's going to be out some time. Sucks. It sucks for an incredible player and one that we still have high hopes for in terms of his development and a leader on and off the field and a game changer on the field in terms of what he does from a practical perspective, you know, this kind of kicks the can down the road, hopefully for Greg Berhalter in terms of making that ultimate decision as to who to play in that three in the midfield, because there is an odd man out. Now it opens up another, uh, another space there, but and again, we had we had feared or you know talked about it with a caveat that this is you know a hamstring that went through a a massive type of injury, and if the immediately he gets back and he's already in trouble right now, it's it sucks. And now he's got to get back from a whole other injury, and who knows when we are going to see him again. But I think Greg Berhalter and company now have to start thinking about not just the immediate in the next window, but going into 2026, having backup plans. And it sucks because he is so far irreplaceable. But if all that talent and all that depth is to be believed, whether we've recognized or it's just coming to fruition now, somebody has to step up and somebody has to take the place of a Tyler Adams in terms of what he does on the field and the leadership that he brings to this team. Because right now, you cannot count on Tyler Adams in the short term. And it has to be said, you cannot count on Tyler Adams for 2026. Right now, if it happens, fine. That's great. And I want it to happen. But this is, again, another serious injury. And who knows when he's going to be back to 100% for his club or his country. So he's definitely out for the October games against Germany and Ghana. The other player I'm wondering about is Gio Reyna as we transition to Germany. Dortmund, a 3-1 away win over Hoffenheim. Gio Reyna, yet again, an unused substitute. He's yet to play. Uh, this season. We're hearing the U.S. squad for these October games is going to be announced uh, late this week, which means his last chance to see the field before that is in the Champions League against AC Milan. If Gio was to not play a single minute so far, but has been training in the last couple of weeks, he's at least been available. So in theory, he's fit. You think Greg Berhalter would feel comfortable calling him in? I mean, I'm assuming that if you are on the bench for a Bundesliga team, in this case, Dortmund, that you are able to play soccer, that you have shown something through the weeks from a physical perspective where if and when the coach turns to the bench that you are able to come in and play soccer. Now, he has not been picked to go on to the field, but you don't put somebody on the bench just you know, as like a sightseeing tour. And Gio's gotten really good at dressing, as, but he has not gotten good now at playing for, uh, for Dortmund. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this last week in that if you are the national team, the national team is not a charity. You, know, you you either are ready or you're not. Is he a special player? Yes. And Greg Berhalter and his staff have often brought players in, not necessarily with the thought to play, but even just to kind of get a feel. In this case, it would be kind of a, 
reintegration of a player and not just any player, but a player that absolutely needs to kind of be reintegrated. But if he's not playing soccer, um, I know oftentimes I say form is fallacy. And I don't think that that precludes him just because he's not playing at Dortmund from coming in and actually playing a part for the U.S. Uh, US men's national team. But it's not assured. And they have to find out what is going on. Is this a situation where He's just out of favor, or is this a situation where they actually are having second thoughts from a physical perspective about putting him in at all in the game? To be fair, Dortmund had a player sent off in the second half. Yep. They were down to 10, so that might have affected Best the subs. Best laid plans might have gone out the window, yes. yeah. And also, John Brooks, by the way, started in the center of defense for Hoffenheim in this game. He had an interesting chess trap, yes. Uh, the big one in Germany was Leipzig-Bayern. Leipzig jumped out to a 2-0 lead, but then Bayern came storming back in the second half. Harry Kane from the penalty spot and Leroy Sané also scored, so it finished 2-2. The result does drop Bayern down to third. They're behind Leverkusen and Stuttgart in the standings. All right, well, Keynes keeps scoring, uh, and he's going to score <laughs> score a boatload. Are we really worried about Bayern? I mean, we do this every year. I mean, are we really worried? Are there weaknesses and problems that are ultimately enough to derail them in terms of winning the Bundesliga? I don't think so. Leverkusen could push them until the end. They're legit, but I agree with you. My money's still on <laughs> Bayern winning it. Every year, every year. Okay. In, in La Liga, the verdict, by the way, is Girona. I've been saying it really? wrong. Really? Okay. Yes, so it's a je sound, yes. if you really want to sound cool. Yes. But most of the English-speaking world calls it Girona, right? Well, that's, oh, yeah, Girona, I guess, is what I meant to say. Yeah. Wait, are you saying Girona or, Giro, or Girona? Oh, now you've thrown me off. Well, it's definitely not Girona, which is what okay. I've been saying. So, it's that's not, <laughs> you, so let's just establish you were wrong, okay? Yeah. It's such I, a, a rare thing. I, I, I feel like I have to make sure that people hear. Okay. Trying to portray myself as an expert on this club. I gave this whole five-minute <laughs> soliloquy about him in the last pod, and I, and I don't know how to pronounce their name. All right, so we're going to go with Girona. Yes. Like je, the je sound. Or Girona. Or Girona. RG Girona? <laughs> oh, my God. Well, either way, they're good so far, although they, uh, will, they didn't have a great uh, result this week. I will reach out to Derek Ray. Okay, we'll let's go. <laughs> there we go. I watched this on Deportes. It was Mario Kempis and those guys, and they said Girona. Okay. All right. Um, they came back down to earth. They suffered a 3-0 home defeat to Real Madrid. Jude Bellingham with a goal and an assist. How about that assist, huh? As, can you think of a player that is playing better in the world right now? No. And the degree to which Real Madrid already feels like his team, if you watch it, he's the one directing everybody, telling him where to go. Uh, I mean, it's remarkable. Do you know, I, I don't have it in front of me, but do you know what the, the transfer fee was? Like, is this going to, when all is said and done, look like just an incredible deal? I mean, he's 21. Well, it now? was a lot. It was like 100 okay, million euros. But, but, it, but he's performing so well. I mean, he that could it, be, you know, a... Tr a, a transcendent type of player, you Absolutely, know, a, yeah. uh, and what he's doing. But do you think that you think that he comes back to reality or is this now what he is in this type of environment? Cause to your point, not only is he, is he, does he have the stats and is he scoring, but he looks really comfortable in this environment. Yeah. I keep waiting for the goals to dry up because if he maintains this pace, we're talking about like 40 goals a season, but, um, I don't know. I mean, he's showing no signs of it. Okay. So far. Well, uh, so the weekend in Spain ends with Real Madrid first, Barcelona second, and Girona down to third. That sounded good when you said it. There. Yes. Okay. Uh, Real Madrid now transitioned to the Champions League. Uh, match day two this week. They're involved in the marquee fixture on Tuesday. They are away to Napoli. Just to uh, update the Napoli story we talked about in our last pod, they put out a statement 
saying they meant no disrespect with that TikTok uh, video. Then they went out and hammered Lecce over the weekend 4-0. Osimhen scored in that game. He put out a statement afterwards saying he loves Napoli. Everything's fine. So I think that... <laughs> I'm not going to sue you. Okay. Yeah, that controversy seems to have dissipated just a bit, just in time for the showdown against Real Madrid. Just in time. All right, so uh, should we go through the uh, <clears throat> the games? Who do you got? Napoli versus Real Madrid. Like you said, this is in Napoli. Right? I like Napoli to win that game. Really? Yes. Okay, I'm going to say that uh, Madrid goes in there and it's 1-1. Yeah. So then PSV with all their Americans, uh, they host Sevilla. They need to bounce back. Remember, they got pummeled by Arsenal on match day one. PSV hosting Sevilla. Yeah. Right. I say they bounce back. So I'm I'm like a two nothing PSV. Uh, on Wednesday, uh, Borussia Dortmund host AC Milan. We talked about this earlier from a Geo perspective. If he plays, it would be an American orgy with right? uh, Geo Pulisic and Musa. The other storyline here is Pulisic facing his former club, going back to Dortmund. I think Pulisic licks his chops and does some damage. First off, I think Milan's a better team. So I think they come away with the away win there. So I'm going like eh, 2-1. 1-2, I guess it would be. Also on Wednesday, uh, Newcastle hosts PSG. This is uh, Saudi Arabia versus Qatar, which is an interesting subplot to this one. (sighs) Oof, jeez. Yeah, a lot of oil. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, I'm going to go... Uh, Newcastle. I'm going to go, uh, I want to go b- bunch of goals. Two, 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 two. Who uh, do you got? Wait, wait, who did you pick for Milan and Dortmund? I'm, I'm not giving predictions. Oh, you're such I'm, a, I'm, come on. You're yeah. such a coward. Good God. Uh, also on Wednesday, Leipzig hosts Manchester City. This is Red Bull versus United Arab Emirates. Don't you love the purity of uh, European soccer? This is romantic, buddy. This yeah. is the romance of the game. <laughs> Uh, City actually coming off back-to-back defeats in all comps. They lost 1-0 away to Newcastle in the League Cup. And then this past weekend in the Premier League, they lost 2-1 away to Wolves. Uh, The injuries are piling up. De Bruyne, we know, is out long-term. Bernardo Silva out. John Stone's out. And Rodri serving a suspension domestically for that red card, but he's fine for Champions League, so they'll be glad to have him back. Uh, So Pep, very worried about all these absences, very worried about all the games they're playing, which is why he made some interesting comments Recently, which I know are going to be your one for the road today. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go a bounce back from Man City, uh, and they put a thumping on Leipzig, win 3-1 away. There you go. All right, there we go. Anything else, my friend? That's it. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the uh, pod where you send in your questions, comments, and concerns. And you can do it over there on the uh, social media platforms. Keep in mind that our handle is SOTU with Alexi, or you can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297. That is 657-549-2297. All right, Mossy, what do we have today? Uh, first up, we have a voicemail. Let's take a listen. Hey, guys, this is Spitz from D.C. Love the latest one for the road about stadiums and grass and roofs. My question is, what stadium or team is on your bucket list for 2024? Is it a Copa America game, the Olympics, maybe the Champions League final? What current stadium, if you could only go to one game in 2024, what is it, and why are you looking forward to it? Love the podcast. Okay, Spitz uh, from DC. Thank you, by the way, uh, for the uh, question and for the kind words. Oh man, you know, as as Spitz mentions, um, twenty twenty four. That's <laughs> summer is going to be 
crazy mossy, all sorts of wonderful things, a smorgasbord of soccer to pick, uh, to pick from. But give us a, a little uh, preview of what people can expect in the summer, just so we know before we get on this tangent here. So the UCL final is at Wembley. Okay. Uh, and then a couple of weeks after that, we have both the Copa America and the Euros, which we're covering those two tournaments on Fox Sports. We're excited about that. Um, I don't think they've determined yet uh, the venues for Copa, where the final would be. Right. Uh, the Euros are in Germany. Uh, I assume the final is in Berlin. Um, and then a couple of weeks after those two tournaments end, we have the Summer Olympics in Paris. Um, and I assume the soccer final would be at the Stade de France and at uh, Zach Kenworthy's favorite neighborhood, Saint-Denis. Yep. Um, oh, my so, goodness. So much good uh, stuff. A lot, lots to get to. So if you could, I know the stadiums, I don't know, he made it about stadiums. I don't know if you want to make it more about that or teams, but if there's one match that you would want to go see this summer, what would it be? So again, we don't know where the stadiums are going to be relative to Copa America, this special Copa America that is going to feature um, not just the 10 teams from Comnable, but also the six teams from uh, from CONCACAF, including the U.S. and Mexico and, and others. I would, and, and also keep in mind that there is the potential for a Messi-led Argentina to be in this tournament. Uh, reigning World Cup champions, Argentina and Messi to be in this tournament in his new backyard of the United States in preparation for potentially another big potential, a 2026 defending of a World Cup by Messi and Argentina again in his backyard of the U.S. So seeing Messi in the context of what has happened with Major League Soccer and Inter-Miami playing in the United States with Argentina in a tournament. I think that would be pretty, pretty cool. We remember back in the Centenario uh, and the U.S. run through that back a number of years ago, even playing against Argentina, would be wonderful to see something like that. As far as the stadiums go, I would assume that since this can be used as kind of a dry run for 2026, that most, if not all of the stadiums that are being, that are going to be used will also be stadiums for 2026. Um, and that, you know, I think that makes, uh, that makes complete sense going forward. And so, although, although, you know, we know that Vegas is not going to be involved from a stadium or a venue perspective in 2026, and it wouldn't surprise me if they do something there. And I would love to see a, a game in Vegas. I enjoy seeing those types of games. The SoFi thing is interesting because it's a wonderful venue, but it's going to be fundamentally changed come 2026. And then they have to go up and out because despite all the billions that were spent on it, they didn't make it wide enough in order to accommodate a uh, world cup. I don't know if next summer they are going to attempt to try out going up and out and make the uh, stadium bigger. But if that were the case, I'd like to see something like that. And look, the U S playing in a tournament with the prestige of Copa America with the pressure and the focus on Greg Berhalter to do something big in that tournament. I mean, I think it just sets up wherever the U S end up playing of that's where I would want, uh, that's where I want to be. Germany is always fun given the incredible infrastructure that they have the ease and be able to travel to multiple games. So if I were to be over there for, uh, you know, for the, uh, for the euros, something that we are covering, we just don't know how it's going to, be from a day-to-day basis, obviously be working a whole lot. You know, I would love to be Berlin's an awesome, awesome city. And so not just the final, but just being in Berlin and being in that country and seeing it from afar years ago when they held, when they hosted the world cup, 
they do a tournament right over there. And so I think it's going to be a celebration of not just the tournament, but all of these different teams and countries coming. And I confirm the final of the Euros is at the Olympic Stadium in Berlin. Uh, now, you? obviously, we have to cover the Copa America and the Euros. Um, so I'll be wherever work dictates that I'll be. But I'm actually strongly considering going to Paris afterwards for, Olympics. for the Olympics. Oh, well, As know, you know, you it's my favorite love, city. I know it's your favorite place and what's not to love, right? If, uh, if Brazil, the Brazil men qualify, uh, we'd be going for our third straight gold medal. And if they were to play a game, let's say at the Parc de France or at the Stade de France, I don't know, I might want to check that out. Maybe like you need an excuse to go to yeah. France may, or Paris. May, maybe go see an Olympic basketball uh, game. Maybe go see the Wagner brothers uh, who just led Germany to the World Cup title, beating the U.S. along the way. Maybe catch one of their games. Look at uh, you. Look Michigan, at you. former Michigan stars. Look, I mean, all of this is to say is that next summer is going to be awesome. And there's going to be so much on offer when it comes to incredible games, incredible players, incredible venues, and incredible experiences. And we're going to bring it all to you. And so while this is fantasy type of thinking, because we're going to be working our asses off and we see it also in a, in a, in a wonderful and unique way. But like I said, it is a very different way than if you were just traveling and if we had our druthers and where we would go and, and who we would see. So that's a good question there from uh, Spitz. So Spitz, I hope that you get to plenty of games and I hope you experience uh, some incredible moments when it comes to what's happening, both domestically here in the US, if you can get internationally, like Masi said, for the Olympics in France or uh, the Euros over there in, uh, in Germany, it's going to be fun. I feel like once upon a time, the dream final for you for the Copa America would be USA-Brazil, but Messi and Argentina have kind of taken that mantle from us. So now US-Argentina would be your dream final. Yes, correct? I think that that would be, that would be a, a, a dream final. And look, they kicked our ass in the Centenario. And so, you know, it would be, it'd be wonderful. And again, it all plays into the fact that I think this is fair we are expecting more from this group under Greg Berhalter and their, you know, the maturity that hopefully they are going to possess come 2026. And so seeing something that we can grab onto and to kind of make us believe in Greg Berhalter and this team going forward, I think this is a vital, vital summer for the U S men's national team in kind of grabbing back the belief and the confidence out there that over the last couple of years, you know, may have been eroded, maybe not in the last couple of years, but certainly over the last six months and all the craziness that has happened and the return to Greg Berhalter that has brought a lot of criticism and debate and, um, and disagreement. Well, I think Greg Berhalter really needs a big summer next summer with, uh, with, uh, with the national team. All right. Next up, Anna asked a, a question via the Apple podcast yes. review method, which we've, we've, said we've that, been you know, encouraging people on, to yep, get, yep. Yeah. do the reviews, do the stars, do all that kind of stuff. And if you ask us a question there, uh, we will attempt to use that question, especially if you give us five stars. By the way, I like when we have females ask questions or leave voicemails. It shows that this podcast I like podcast females too, Marcy. Yes. Uh, and we do have a, uh, a, a wonderful female audience out there. They, you know, oftentimes they're, it's not representative ne necessarily in terms of the, uh, the questions that we get to the hotline. So yeah, we do encourage people to, uh, uh, to, uh, to call in, uh, and we talk about, you know, men's soccer, women's soccer, and look, you don't, it's not just because you're female doesn't mean all you care about is, uh, female soccer or, uh, or men's soccer or, or women's soccer. Ultimately you care about soccer and people that like soccer, listen to the state of the union, whether they're male or female. 
And to your point, Anna asked a great question regarding the U.S. men's team. Mm -hmm. She said, if the U.S. men's national team were to be involved in a penalty shootout given the current squad, what five players do you think would take the penalty? Ooh, interesting. Okay, so I think some no-brainers would be uh, Christian Pulisic, and he's he takes it with for the team anyway. So I think that that's something that absolutely would happen. Um, let's see. Uh Geo, I uh, if Geo is on the field, I worry about Geo's head sometimes. But I'm going to put him in there. I'm going to put Geo in there. I think I would do Peppy, McKinney. Hmm. So now it's between Flo and. Pulisic, or maybe I always like to have a defender in there sometimes because I think defenders, it's like, don't think meat. And that's not to say that someone like Tim Ream is dumb or anything like that, but I just think that there is a pragmatism that comes with defender. But I just don't, when I look at our defenders, other than Tim Ream, who's the best, who has the silkiest type of touch, I might put Tim Ream in there. I might put Tim, and so I'm putting Tim Ream in there over. Musa and Flo. Is that crazy or something like that? Who, who would you put? So yeah, I'm going to put Tim Ream in there. Uh, yeah. Balogun is interesting because we just watched him miss two penalties in the right. same game for his club team. But you think that's an aberration? I mean, he's a guy that... Yeah, I guess. Knows I how to put the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, I guess. That's a hard one. That's a good question, uh, Anna. Tell us who your five would be. Uh, whether you, and So Anna, you've set up some good content here. So yeah. All right, so I'm going to make it definitive here. So... Pulisic, Pepe, McKinney, Ream. Yeah, and now it's between Geo, Flo, and Musa. Who are you going with? Geo, Flo, and Musa. I am going to go with. Mm, I'm going to go with Musa. That means Flo and Geo do not take in my in my first five. I think we're still cut. We're we're still trying to get flow. We're still trying to, you know, he's still on a probationary type of basis here when it comes to what he's doing. So yeah, I can be convinced. I'm sure people out there are banging their heads on their steering wheel right now or wherever they are saying, how is that possible? But you, would you have flow take one? I would pick Matt Turner as one of my five. After watching him hit those home runs and batting practice, I'm convinced this guy can do anything athletic you ask him to do. He has, you know, incredible coordination. He's an incredible athlete. And we are lucky to have him not just as a player, but as a proud American. Uh, anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, let's take another quick break. And when we come back, we'll wrap up the show with my one for the road. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. And uh, my interest was piqued earlier this week, Mossy, when Pep Guardiola, who is wonderful in terms of providing content and quotes, had this quote about the, I guess it's an evergreen type of topic, the amount of games that players are playing. And I think he rightfully kind of framed the situation when he said, if the players decide for themselves to say to the organizations, this would be the leagues and the the governing bodies out there, or I guess even their own representation, stop. You have to change something. Um, After that, after those types of statements, maybe FIFA and UEFA, and I guess he would add the, uh, the teams and the leagues, 
would react. And he was talking about the number of games. And Pep is in a long line of coaches and managers who are lamenting the fact that teams are playing so many games. Pep is not just a former player, a former incredible player. Uh, He, more than anybody, will understand that what a coach wants, manager wants, and what a player wants, oftentimes are diametrically opposed. I've never met a coach that doesn't want more time to coach, that doesn't want more time on the training field to train and to coach their players. But here's the not-so-dirty little secret. Players, for the most part, in my experience, they want to play. They want to play games. I would much, much rather play more games than have more training sessions. Uh, I know that I played at a different time, and we established earlier in this show, in in a different era. But I have to believe that that attitude has not changed too dramatically over the years. I would also submit to you that if you are a player that would rather have more training than games, then you're not a player that I want on my team. Ultimately, you are judged. Ultimately, let's be honest, you are paid and your value is assessed, not by what you do in training, but by what you do in games. Typical game day You do nothing during the day. I know some people have walkthroughs and do different things in the morning, but it's pretty much an open type of day. And then you, as the gladiator that you are, walk out in front of thousands of people, most of the time adoring or or at the very least tolerant of you, but you're still in that arena and in that wonderful type of egotistical environment that feeds what you are ultimately, which is a ego-based human being. And you are asked to perform and there's nothing like it. Matter of fact, once it's gone, you will spend probably many days trying to find something that can take the place and it will be futile, let me tell you. So I do agree that when Pep points out that the players have the power, he's absolutely right but I don't think that the players are going to wield this power in the moment that they are in as players. Because what it could mean is less money and less pay because more games generates more revenue. And that revenue doesn't just trickle down, it gushes down upon everybody, not the least of which is the players. And the reason why you are able to be paid so much is because of the games that you play not because of the training sessions that you attend and that you play in. And so ultimately, if the players were to come together and try to stop it, the other side of the table would say, oh, sure, we can do that, but we're going to pay you less because we're going to be making less. And again, there's another train that has kind of left the station. But in this case, I think it's different. And I think, Pep, it's all fine and well to talk about the players doing something. But if I'm a player... I would much rather play games. And again, it's all relative to all the other teams that you're playing. So saying that, oh, we're so tired and there's so much travel. Again, this travel is done in private. 
in the best of accommodations, whether it's the transportation or the actual accommodations where you're staying at a whole nother level. And not just for the EPL and the highest leagues in the world, leagues all over the world. I never took a single charter. And I know I'm grumpy old manning this a little bit right now, but the lap of luxury that you are afforded while you are going and playing these games, it is, an, is at an all-time high. So all of that is to say that I don't think the games or the number of games is going to change. And while Pep may want the players to rise up and use their obvious power uh, and leverage that they have to change this, I don't think that this is ultimately going to change. He did say, though, in, in that article that he thinks players should have a longer summer break, which is interesting that club coaches always view international <laughs> football as the villain in this story. Uh, so what do you make of that? You know, Victor Montaliani has come out and said, it, we only think about the top players that get called up regularly for their national teams. I've heard him say 80% of professional soccer players don't play enough games. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's an interesting thing. And the reason why you're playing so many games is because you're valuable because people want to pay money to see you as the best teams uh, in, in the world. And, you know, Victor or anybody else recognizes that it is only in the game that you not just are judged, but I think that you make your most, your, uh, your most progress and you evolve the most in that, you know, they, they talk about game fit. Well, why do they do that? Because there's a, re there's a recognition that the game is a very, very different animal, that the game requires a very, very different type of performance than in a training session or even in a, uh, you know, a, uh, a scrimmage type of game. It is so completely different. And in that moment, you will know physically or mentally if you are up to it, if you are capable of being successful in the, in the game. And again, I wanted to play as many games as possible. And I don't think that I'm that strange or different than any other player. He does raise an interesting point, though. We're accustomed with American sports leagues with players having a lot of power through their union. Yep. And you never hear about that with international soccer. There is this FIFA Pro organization, but beyond putting out a best 11 at the end of your cheer, which is usually ridiculous, by the way, and then putting out an occasional statement in support of a player who's been racially abused. I've never heard of FIFA Pro actually having an impact in a major decision at FIFA UA for any organization made regarding creating a tournament or number of games. So you do feel like players should be more assertive and have more of a voice. Oh, I do agree with him that they have incredible leverage and power if and when they want to use and wield it. It's just deciding when is appropriate and what are you risking? What are you potentially losing? And oftentimes when we talk about leverage and power for groups, it's not what I'm going to get. It's what future generations are going to get. And that requires a humility. That requires a benevolence. That requires a recognition that this is something bigger than me. And we all know that we're all a bunch of egomaniacs when it comes to it. And to a certain extent, everybody is out for themselves when it comes to money and opportunity. And if and when you come together and you use power and leverage that could possibly detract or take away something uh, that you earn or that you have or any of that power that we're talking about, very, very quickly, people say, status quo is fine with me. We're doing fine right now. All right. So that's it. But before we, I know this is a beefy pot. I do want to say one last thing. Uh, we've come full circle at the State of the Union pod. When we started this endeavor almost six years ago, our original producer was Francis Arthur. 
And then she, she quit. She left Fox altogether, then came back. She's held different positions since then. And uh, she came in today to let us know she's now been promoted to a position where she is once again in charge of this podcast. Listen, I think it's been established that the grass is not always greener. And we'll let people go out there and uh, see the world and see what the rest of the world has to offer. But ultimately, they will come back here because this is where the love is. This is where the romance is. This is where it's at here at the State of the Union, my friend. So welcome back, Fran. Uh, And uh, we missed you. And we hope that uh, you don't scream and yell at us. Uh, But we have a long list of, of people when it comes to incredible talent and incredible people that have come through the State of the Union pipeline, if you will, Mossy. Unfortunately, her first order of business is get rid of Mossy. So right. th- this was my first, this is my last pod. You're okay. You're wonderful. It's not State of Union without Mossy. All right, listen, uh, we're going to get out of here. As I said, we went a little bit long here, but we'll give you some bonus State of the Union. Keep reviewing, uh, keep subscribing, keep rating, keep doing all the different things that you do. Again, our State of the Union podcast hotline, 657-549-2297. All the different social media platforms out there. Handle SOTU with Alexi. And again, the Apple uh, reviews, the uh, five stars are, are, are great, but whatever you want want to say or review let us know subscribe review rate do all the different things that you do we will talk to you again next uh not next week later on this week i will be coming to you from our nation's capital over there in dc i'll have a little story about that uh that too but until then and as always my friends size the day